Every day is an opportunity, isn't it? Every second that we have is an opportunity to come into a life that I'm going to talk about today, which is completely full and overflowing. And turn me to John 6, 35. We've been looking at this entire chapter, and I'm not sure when I will get out of John 6, 35, which means I'm not sure when <coughs> excuse me, we will get out of John 6. But there's so much in John 6. It's incredible, really, what Jesus is saying and the opportunity that we have if we can hear what he's saying and go after what he's saying. Because in, in one verse, I thought I'd, I'd speak this entire verse today, but as I just started to marinate in it, I only get past like three or four words. And then you go, there's so much on offer in one verse that he says, Son, there's, you, know, you need three or four uh, Sundays to be able to just even get close to scratching what's behind one verse. You know, you look at words like Jesus said, and I stopped. You know, like if God wants to speak to me, I got to. He's got to have my attention. It can't be like yeah, G- Jesus said. Hold on, I'll just get to that. You know, I'm watching the news. The news is talking to me. Danielle's talking to me. The kids are talking. To me. But Jesus said. Jesus spoke. Jesus wants to speak to me, and Jesus is God. And Jesus is the creator of all things. So if Jesus said something, I'd certainly want to know what he's talking about, wouldn't I? Does he have our attention or does everything else have our attention? Because he is speaking. Some people say, I can't hear. He is speaking. So we might have to look at our frequency and our dial to be able to hear him because he's speaking all the time. Even if you just take this, he's speaking. Some people are waiting for this audible voice of the Lord to come down to say, hey, Greg. Yes, Lord. He's speaking. And he's given the Holy Spirit to bring this to light and to life. So God is always talking. It's us that need to be slow to speak and quick to hear. I'm going to play a song, not just now, but in about five minutes. And I'm going to play the first verse and this song has captivated me. I'm, I'm in love with the guy's voice. <laughs> but the words of the song, it's like it's a prophet who sings. And I hear a heart cry and a frequency of my father through the song called I'm Listening. But there's a prophetic reality in the song that we can just miss and just sing the song and actually not be in the prophetic reality of what he's saying. And so you see this statement in John 6.35. Let me read it to you. Jesus said to them, I am. Let's just stop there. (laughs) Who's God? I am. So in one moment he's saying, I am. He's referencing himself back to what Moses was told when he said, who do I say you are? He said, I am has sent you. You see, this is what got him in all sorts of trouble. It actually gets us in trouble as well when you start living out your identity and you start sharing with actually the Christ in you and people don't understand who you are. That's why we've been looking at the gift series so we can understand the gifts on everyone's life and the grace that goes with that. So when that gift starts to operate, we don't reject the gift because we don't understand the purpose and the function of the gift because sometimes the gifts that come from heaven are powerful. And they speak a reality to us that we may not understand. So then we go, well, who do you think you are? Well, a nobody, but with a somebody on an impartation to bring to see the body built. 
if the body can receive the gift, but then they reject the gift. Do you know it's possible to reject the gifts that God has given? It's possible to reject the gift God wants to give you or has given you, which means it's possible to reject someone else as a gift because we are gifts. You know, in a time when we give gifts to one another, I wonder if we receive practical gifts more than we do spiritual gifts because we don't understand spiritual gifts. And Jesus is saying, I am a gift to you. I am God on earth for you. I'm the Messiah. And we've looked at that, haven't we, in John 6? And one minute they recognize him as the Messiah and next minute they don't because when he shifts and he changes up on them, when he starts to speak, all of a sudden they don't quite like what he says, Jesus said. I don't know about you, but so often we can like Jesus when he does things that we like, but when he speaks and we say things we don't like, maybe he's not Jesus. And maybe we try to justify ourselves out of what he just said. But he's truth, isn't he? And everything he says is true, isn't it? So why would you want to do that? Why would you want to step back from everything he says when it's for you just because you don't understand it or maybe you're in fear? Why not embrace it and go, I'm scared, I don't understand anything, but you know what? I believe you said it in your truth, so I'm going to embrace it. And then I'm going to allow you to reveal it so I can come into it, so I can live a kingdom life here on earth. Because you're going to hear about an eternal life today, which is the promise for us, not a temporal life, not a better life, an eternal life. So he says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. This is a complete life to be discovered in him, is it not? I am the bread of life. That's one absolute statement of truth right there. We're going to look at that. He who comes to me will not hunger. There's another absolute statement of truth. That's for next time. And he who believes in me will never thirst. There's another absolute statement of truth. So there's three absolute statements of truth in one verse for us. Yes? And as a statement of who he is, I am the bread of life. You see, what God's trying to get us all off is us and into him. And the challenge is sometimes we don't even know our hidden inner realm and who's at the center of it. And you really can't know until he shows you. So you can think he's at the center of yourself, but really all you've done is added him onto you. You've incorporated Jesus into your life, but he's not your life. And Colossians says he wants to be the source of life. So it's very easy to do this. Pray a prayer. Jesus, come and be the Lord of my life. But he comes in and he sits on you. And he will accept that because that was how the disciples started. It wasn't until Acts that he actually came into them, removed them from them, and then became Lord and King of their inner realm. So it's very easy to be an incorporated follower of Christ, And it's not wrong, but there's a deeper work that needs to happen. And so he comes in, but actually you're still sitting on the throne of your life. So he comes in, he sits here, and he says, that's okay, but we're going to go to work here. So then he starts to ask you questions and challenge this place, because he's going, but actually I'm to be the Lord of your life, not you. You're sitting actually on my throne, because I was created to be in your deep innermost place, but you don't even know that place even exists yet, but I want to show you. David didn't know it existed until he actually committed sin and adultery. 
He had no idea this place existed. And so he was still living from pride, from his own will. But that got crushed, didn't it? And then he wrote Psalm 51. Why? Just for him? No, for us. That God would say, there's a deep hidden inner realm that you may or may not yet know about that I need to be actually have my presence in. My indwelling presence has to come and sit in your hidden place. And then this life starts to flow from the innermost being. And that was the opportunity the woman at the well was about to have and the rich young ruler. He was offering them the same thing and he was challenging what was in them. That's a, another message for another time. But here's the thing. This life that I'm talking about and have been declaring forever is concealed in Christ. What does that mean? You can't find it without Christ. So everything you're hearing coming out of my mouth is concealed for you, but it's concealed, which means you and your ability can't get into it without the Spirit of God. That's how God has set it up, because you need and I need him. Otherwise, we don't need God, do we? So listen to the scripture in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Where are they? They're in Christ. So every promise that we go and believe and say yes for, so that is a promise I just read out, is it not? It's a promise. I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never hunger, you will never thirst, if you believe in me. That's a promise. It's an absolute statement, and Jesus doesn't lie. Okay. So for as many as our promises, so that's just one that I read out, one promise of God that's come from God, yes, to promise from above, they are in Christ. Do you now see why our purpose is to know him? Because everything is contained in those two words. On the revelation of the Messiah, I build my church. On the revelation of myself, I release all the promises. The promises are all contained in one vessel called Jesus Christ. If I don't know Jesus Christ, I don't know the promises. I can know them mentally, and I can quote them from the book, but I don't know them in a way that changes me because they are in Christ. And where is Christ to be? At the centerpiece of my life. So as revelation upon revelation upon revelation through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word that's spoken, guess what I come into? Every promise that is yes and amen. In him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Can you hear the oneness of the connection? When the promise comes in you through revelation, because the Christ is revealing the promise, you come out with a yes and an amen through him because he's just done a work in you and through you. I love that song that we sing about the Redeemer, that the one that shouts the loudest is the one that's been saved. I was just trying to think the words. I can't get the words, but it says, you know, there's nothing like a sinner who, a sinner who makes a sound. How loud is your sound? Well, I tell you, it'll be determined by how well you know how well much you've been saved from. See, if I don't know, if I don't know how much I'm forgiven, how can I love? Luke seven forty seven. This woman knows how much she's been forgiven. This is why she loves much. Little understanding of forgiveness, little love. 
They are all connected. It's like the promises. They are in Christ. So every promise that is contained in the Christ, and these are the words of the Christ, are concealed. And there's an incredible promise in one verse of never going hungry and never going thirsty. Where are we at with that? He said, so it must be a reality for you and I. But there is an action that's required of that from us, which is what? Firstly, to believe. Because he said the first work of God is to believe. Not mentally agree and everyone go, yep, 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 and then not live that out because the belief of that creates the ability to live that out. You come into the reality of the promise, so the promise is no longer prophetic, it's your reality. And then there's more. See how real this is? And this is why they got very upset. They're happy for him to do miracles. They're happy for him to fill their tummies with natural food. But they're not so happy when he starts to declare a reality into the earth of his father's truth because he was not educated under man. He was educated under his father, and it was his father's teachings that he actually spoke. That's why it just said there, it's all from God. The promises are of God. But it's an eternal life. It's not a temporal life. It's from another food source, and it's another work that's required to produce the food. That's what we looked at last week. But I am the recipient of this food and this work. So in me, never hunger, never thirst. Wow. Does that excite us? Does it scare us? Does it put us to sleep? Does it make you think, my goodness, what am I doing with my Christian walk? Am I actually in Christ? Am I playing church? Am I a consumer? Where do we go? Because this is to apprehend us. This is a one promise for you and I. How many are there in here? Anyone want to count? <laughs> Let's go to Colossians for a minute. just want to prove a point. If I haven't proved it. Colossians 2, 1 to 8. I'm going to read this reasonably fast. You are built up in Christ. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. There's three people he's about to speak of. This is Paul. And for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. So he's praying for a true knowledge. You see, there's knowledge and knowledge. There's a knowledge that's informational. Once again, it's not wrong, but it's not life. It's from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's good, but its root system is dead. So it doesn't produce life in you. It creates a false life thinking you're in something that you can't live out. That's the deception. So you think because you know it here, I must be in it, but then you go to live it and you can't. That's the deception. You're not in anything you can't live. Wisdom is vindicated by her children. Who is wisdom? Jesus Christ. So if you're a child of Jesus Christ, you live out wisdom. 
Wisdom is a demonstration of being in Christ. It's not a thought concept I can tell you. It's easy to teach. It's not so easy to live. Okay? So what he's saying is there's a knowledge and a knowledge, and he's praying that we would know the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is he's a mystery. It's concealed in the mystery. Who's the mystery? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wants to reveal himself to mankind, does he not? He came to earth, but his own people didn't recognize him. True? What about the Gentiles? What about you and I? Are you recognizing your father's voice today as I'm speaking? Can you hear it? Because the Bible says he came into the earth and he wanted to enlighten all men. Where? In the eyes of their heart. To see what? The kingdom of God on the earth. That we would be ambassadors of another kingdom on earth, not this one. Not living for natural food, but living for the bread of life. Are we tracking? This is so rich, but it is simple, but incredibly deep. Listen to verse three. In whom, so he's talking about Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So within the Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Every promise is in the Messiah and it's concealed for us. But only the Holy Spirit can reveal it in us and to us. John 14 and 16, he has been given the role to lead us to bring to light everything that's in the Christ that has already been declared through the written and the spoken word. Tracking? Cool. Now listen to this. I say this so no one will delude you with persuasive argument. This is really good. See, when you know you're in true knowledge, the simplicity of the knowledge, no fancy preacher can come along and start trying to convince you with persuasive words that sound like God but aren't because they're preaching from their head, not the spirit. Anyone can do that. Anyone can get up here and speak from their head and quote you words. Not everyone can preach from the Word of God because the Word of God is spirit. And one has to be in the spirit, with the spirit, getting the word from the spirit, living then in that person and they declare it out. It's not natural. It's spirit. But we've been given the Spirit to understand the Word of the Spirit. But if you try and interpret the Word of the Spirit through the natural, you'll be very confused. And it doesn't produce what this says it produces. So he says, I'm the bread of life. What are you eating? Are you eating your version of me? Are you not even eating that? Are you being consumed with natural food? Bread is a food source, correct? So is Jesus. Why do you work for food which perishes? Why is your whole life spent working for something that never produces life? Ladies, why are you looking for the living among the dead? When I told you he wouldn't be here. Because someone couldn't hear what he said when he said it. Why? Because we're so consumed with our preparations of preparing something for him he didn't need. See, it's not in even living for you and trying to build your own empire. It's in living for Jesus. You see, they're preparing spices for Jesus' burial. But they missed the fact that this other woman had beat them to it and poured all the nard all over him. And he said, this is being my my burial. Thank you. Right now. And so they turn up after all this work and energy the night before, and he's not there because it wasn't needed. 
So how much time, energy, resource was spent on something Jesus never asked for? Because you couldn't hear what he said when he said it. Now his love is covering it all, but can you hear the waste? And if they'd heard it, they wouldn't have spent all that time on something he wasn't asking, like Martha and Mary. And we can be exactly the same if we can't hear what he's saying when he says it. And that is the pattern of the scriptures, isn't it? Man, he said, I'm going to die, rise again. And when it happened, they're all crying. Why? Because they didn't hear it when he said it. And it's only when he comes back and says, guys. And they go, oh, light bulb moment. Now, it's cool, and he loves them, but can you hear the intensity of that? You're supposed to hear it when I say it. Why? So you're getting ready. I just wonder how much of our lives would be different if we actually heard the word and actually came into the word. I wonder how much waste of time, energy, emotion we build up because we can't hear something. And yet here's this promise that if I said, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me will never hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. I think we have to ask ourselves, what does it really mean to come to Christ? Because I think we've taken that, this massive thing, and limited it down to like a crumb. It's like this, come down here, pray a prayer, go again, you're all good, Jack. You came to Christ. No, it's come, stay, allow me to make my home in you. <laughs> no vacancy at the inn, the house, the temple, only the overflowing presence of Jesus Christ. Because I come, stay, unyoke myself from the world, yoke myself to the Christ, and learn from God. Matthew eleven twenty eight. And this is what I wrestle with all the time for me and you. To bring to you the word of the Lord, not something that might tickle your ears, but something that will actually enlighten your spirit might scare your flesh to death. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But I love you. So look, he says this, so that no one will delude you. Just come down to verse 6 in the same in Colossians. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed. So you're established in accordance to the instruction, not your own way, to the instruction of heaven and overflowing with gratitude. So the the outcome of being built by Christ is overflowing gratitude. We should be the people that are the most thankful people on the planet, not the grumbling ones. Grumbling is a sign of a lack of building. Because you're not getting what you perceive you want, which is a consumeristic heart. Consumers are always wanting, never satisfied with what they have, and always trying to add to their lives. And man, they get very upset if the people serving them don't serve them the way they think they should be served. They're not very nice people to be around. We saw some of them when we were in Malaysia and the way they treated the staff there as slaves walking around like peacocks as if they are someone. 
And so Jesus is saying here, you know what? If you're in me, coming into the mystery, because every treasure and hidden knowledge is in me, no one can delude you because you know the truth. You see, there's lies and truth. There's the father of lies and there's the father of truth. There's the father of the flesh and the father of the spirit. And so when things get proclaimed into the ear, if you're in what I'm talking about and growing in this, because it's a growing, maturing process, you'll discern the lie from the truth, which means you don't believe the lie from the truth. There are so many lies out here, aren't there? But you know what? There's a greater lie in here and here. And I've said this before, your greatest devil is your inner me. Your greatest enemy is not Satan, it's your inner me. It's your old man still talking to you who hasn't been put to death by the word of the Spirit of God. And he tells you, she tells you things that aren't true to keep you in bondage and small. Then the devil will jump on that and reinforce it in like this. But we actually lie to ourselves. But this tells me to be in him. I'm coming into this life and the outcome is this natural gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to who? Christ. And this can happen every Sunday from a pulpit, in discipleship groups, in one-on-one. This is in here and wherever you go, to be taken aback. What do we call it? By empty philosophy, deception, according to the traditions of men, the elementary principles of the world. Jesus was confronted to this when he turned up. They'd created this thing called the Talmud, which was their version of the law, and they believed that as well as the law, and that's why there was all this mixed confusion, and he had to come and straighten it out. So it's the same today. Because without revelation, you create your own gospel. That's why you get all these different versions of it. But he said it's one, and I'm one, and one truth, and the truth will make you free. So this is how you know you're in the truth that makes you free, is you're free. (laughs) It ain't rocket science, it's simple. We're looking for something that's way more complicated than what it is. But because we can't enter it because it's concealed without him, then we go on a journey to try and enter into it without him, and that's why we get confused. So we start looking for all this truth in life and something you're never going to find it, and he's going, well, well, I guess I've got to be patient again. He is so good, isn't he? So just come with me to John 12. Jesus said, and then I'm going to read this, and I'm going to play you the song. It was a long 10 minutes, wasn't it? Who'd forgot that I said I was going to play that song, eh? John 12. <laughs> John 12, 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. Hear the oneness? He who sees me sees the one who sent me. Massive absolute statements. You've seen me, you've seen my father. You've seen the father, you've seen me. We are not separate. We are one. I have come as light into the world 
so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. You know you can be in darkness as a follower? You can live from the flesh. That's darkness because the kingdom of the world is darkness. The kingdom of the Son of God is light. You're rescued from the kingdom of darkness, but that doesn't mean your mindset is automatically changed from the kingdom of darkness. So when you disagree with him and you don't believe, that's the mindset of darkness. Because he says this is true, you go, no, it's not. Why? Because I don't understand it. Well, that does not make it not true. The fact that I don't understand stuff doesn't mean that's not true. It's the fact that I just don't understand what he's saying. But there's hope because I have the Holy Spirit who wants to reveal what he's saying to me so I can come into it so I no longer walk in darkness. And we think darkness is this, you know, oh, this real satanic stuff. No, darkness is not thinking like God. Darkness is not having the heart of God. Darkness is actually living from the flesh, which we all can do because we're made up of spirit and flesh. But the flesh profits you nothing, Jesus said. He said, my words are spirit and life. He said, what I have said to you in John 6 is spirit and life. So why do you grumble and say to me, who can hear this? This is very hard. And why do you get aggressive and anti-me? Because you can't hear me because you're living from darkness. The flesh is still an operating system within you. If anyone hears my sayings, you ready? Jesus said, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now that is complete salvation. That is not just save me from hell, complete salvation. He wants, complete salvation looks like John 6.35. You don't hunger, you don't thirst. I am being saved. My spirit, soul, body are being saved. So then the Christ that's in me comes out of me. I become like the son, for he is my brother, and he is not ashamed to call me brother. And he is the example of what a son looks like on the earth, because he was fully God, but fully man, and did everything as a man. So he is my example of what a son on earth from the kingdom of God looks like. And I have to wrestle with that, because that goes, whoa. And I can't go, well, he's Jesus, because no. Yes, he's Jesus, but yes, he was fully man which means everything is possible for me when I'm submitted under the Father like he was, full of the fire of the Father and the power and hear his voice and do what he says. Isn't that what Jesus lived like? John 6.35, never hungry, never thirsty, overflowing, overcoming, had enough love to go around for everybody. So when they nailed him on a cross, he said, forgive them all. That's the pattern of life in God, which is an eternal Life. He who rejects me does not receive my sayings. And he has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Mark, can you just play us that song? This song is called I'm Listening, and I'm just going to play the first verse. Listen to the words of the, each line. Just turn it up, please. Thanks, mate. Confusion fades Just a word 
absolute truth, prophetic, that we can miss completely. When you speak, confusion fades, first line. Well, when he spoke here, confusion reigned. So when he speaks, does confusion fade in your life or does it reign? Which one? Because when he speaks, he's speaking from heaven, which means confusion. God is not the God of confusion. He's the God of clarity. You know why confusion reigns? It's because you're trying to understand him through your carnal mind. And so that is not fading. It's like taking off, man. I don't know. What are you talking about? And this is what happened here. When he spoke these words to them in John 6, listen to their response. And there was massive grumbling so he says this when he says, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. This is highly offensive to the Jew because under the law, which they actually weren't even keeping, they got highly offended. So then there they say this, therefore many of his disciples, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement, who can listen to it? And all before that, they've been grumbling about what he's saying, that he is the bread of life. So is confusion fading or reigning? You see, when we try to understand through the flesh, man, it just reigns confusion. Because you're trying to put him in a box that's in your head. You're trying to put what you're hearing, filtering it through your understanding to make you feel good and it don't fit. And, you know, if you stay in confusion too long, you just want to give up. And that's where disillusionment is, frustration. You just go, oh, I'm going to quit. None of this makes sense. When he spoke to his disciples, man, there was more confusion than anything else. Who is he? Well, I'm the Messiah. But who is he? I'm the bread of life. No, no, you're not. Yes, you are. Now you're the prophet. Now you're the carpenter's son. You know, we were, they were flipping their mind, changing their mind, depending on what was happening to them, not in them. And every time their external situation changed, it challenged their inner being. It challenged their true revelation of who he even was. What's the second line? Just a word and suddenly I'm not afraid. Mate, the guy calmed the waters and they freaked out. He stood in front of them and he said, Aah! So, there's this word I speak and confusion reigns. Then when I speak, no one's afraid. Why was Adam running away? Hear the difference between the reality of the beautiful song and maybe the way we live. But where the way we're to live is to be the, what the song is declaring. Next line. Because you speak and freedom reigns. 
The freedom is not found outside of Christ. If you want this life that always believes is never go hungry, it's in the Christ. You can't say I'm free if you're not in the Christ and growing in the Christ because He is the freedom, the truth, Jesus Christ, not a principle of Jesus Christ, Jesus Himself. I am the truth. I make you free through the power of revelation of myself. So we're back to 2 Corinthians now, which says every promise is contained in the Christ. There is hope in every single word you say, only if I hear it and understand it. See, this requires us to learn, doesn't it? This isn't just turning up on a Sunday saying you're part of a family and not actually receiving what the Father is saying when you turn up. We can go through motions, guys, like we go to work. I don't know if you love your work or hate your work, but you can go through the motions at work, can't you? You can just turn up, do what's just enough to get your pay packet, no more, keep the boss happy, receive your pay and live your life. All that can be exactly what it's like in a family like this. Week in, week out, hearing this incredible declaration of prophecy and just go, whatever. Because I'm not here for that. I'm here for some other reasons. Do you know the reason why we gather? What's the reason why you gather? No, it's not. The reason why we gather is to get fed. The reason why we gather is to encourage one another. The reason why I come is to be changed by the presence of God. The reason I come to meet God. So I come with much expectation. I come with a heart of expectation, but I also come to give. I come to hear and give. I come to share. I come to encourage. I come to pray for. I want to see you and I become the very church that He says I can become. He said, I can never hunger, never thirst if I believe in the bread, which is him if I work the works of God which is not physical external works first it's an inner realm of belief in me if I will get off my throne and allow him onto my throne then maybe I've got a chance at being the Christian he called me to be and outside of that you can forget it really seriously you can forget it and this is what he's doing here Building his house and his house is strong his temple is full But it requires much seeking, much asking, and much letting go of our lives. So we will get what we ultimately want. If you want to live a ho-hum Christian life, it's all good. He loves you. You can, but you will receive the fruit of a ho-hum Christian life. And you have to ask yourself whether you want that. You can ask yourself, no, I don't want that. I want all that he said is on offer. But that requires change. That requires a letting go. It requires all the things we're afraid of, doesn't it? But he said one word and I'm not afraid of what he says. Why? Because I know it's for me. I'm going to finish with this. And this is John 6, 66 to 70, no, 69. And this is Peter's response. As a result of this, 
Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Do you know that means you don't, you can be a disciple and not walk with him, but you don't lose your salvation. So you're really living for you as his disciple. You're really stopped following or you're trying to form him in your little box of what it means to be a disciple. So you go, I'm happy being his disciple here. He's trying to take you up the mountain spiritually and you go, no, I just want to sit here at a thousand feet. He allows it. He will let you. He loves you. It's not based on any of that stuff. But he's going, but I have more. I want to show you what the view is like at 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. I want to give you all. Okay? So these guys have made a decision. They may have come back. We don't know a week later. Who knows? We don't know all things. But in this point in time, they've made an active choice of their will to walk away from him because they didn't like what he said. Okay? That's the context So Jesus said to the 12, the 12 he's walking with, because he didn't walk with crowds, he walked with 12. He said this, you don't want to go away also, do you? Put yourself in this situation. You've just watched three quarters of this building go that way. They're out of here. Jesus is over here and he turns to you lot and he says, are you going to follow them? That's a challenge, eh? You're at a point of left or right where the Messiah, the God of the universe, is asking you a question which could determine your future. Now, a yes today, or let's say a no today, might be a yes tomorrow. But here's the thing. Every time we say no, I believe our heart gets hardened to saying yes the next day. And that's what the Israelites were about. Their heart was so hardened They couldn't even hear the word he spoke, but they received the miracles, fine. They were recipients of the miracle and missed the word. I don't want to be like that. So he turns to his 12 and he actually lays this on them. And he asks them this piercing question. Imagine the Messiah looking at you with eyes of love, asking you this question. Not eyes of law, eyes of love. Because he's asking you more than this. (laughs) Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. See, the words Jesus speaks is connected to this eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about eternal life and temporal life. It says we need to see by by faith if we want to have eternal life. You see, we don't live by sight Natural sight, that's temporal life. What you're looking at is temporal. So you judge externally as a temporal life. You have to have eyes that see from the heart into the invisible concealed realm and live from that place and get your food source from that. He's going, Jesus, I have no understanding what you're really saying. But I know that your words are eternal life. I don't understand them. And that's obvious throughout the scriptures when Jesus spoke. He was always arguing with them, wasn't he? But what he is saying, he's saying, I know something. What did Peter know that his disciples didn't yet know? He was the Messiah. That was enough to hold him when he had no understanding what he was saying. Where did he get the revelation that he was the Messiah from? The Father. Which means we have to ask ourselves, where are we getting our revelation of Jesus from? The Father or man? 
Jesus was taught by his father. Man turned up and said, how has this man been educated because he didn't go to our school? Where did he get his knowledge from? And they were highly offended when he said, from above. See, when he said from the place he actually went to get his knowledge from, they were highly offended. Why? Because earth is always highly offended with heaven. The spirit, the flesh, is always highly offended with the spirit, but the spirit comes down to the flesh to see the flesh become spirit. And so right here you're seeing Peter go, I've really got no clue what you say, but I've got a revelation that you are the Messiah because the Father gave it to me and that is enough to hold me right now and to stay with you while everyone who walks away from you hasn't had that revelation is gone. Wow. And then he would then come into more and more life, wouldn't he? But even Peter needed to go through his own time with God in the temple where this temple of self had to come down because Peter at this point was still sitting on his throne. Tracking with me? So God had not yet come in and done a work in Peter and removed Peter from his own lordship place. But he had a revelation that held him without it really understanding any of the words Jesus was saying. So when Jesus said to him, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, what did he say? Surely not. And then what did he do, Danny? What, what did Peter actually do to Jesus? He rebuked him. See what happens when you can't hear what he says? You end up being a stumbling block to Christ. Because the next words he says is, Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. Didn't know I had that much authority. Didn't know I could get in the way. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I want to work with you. Sure, I could go over you and past you, but I actually want to work with you as well. We're called to be a co-heir with Christ, are we not? Which means we're all walking and working in the same direction, are we not? As Jesus and as a family. So what happens if we all pull in separate directions? A house cannot stand on a house that's divided, can it? Do you see why fellowship is so important, spiritual oneness? But it's very easy to be pulling in 50 million directions, but all turn up in a building like this, thinking we're all going the same way, but actually we're not. We're all going in 50 million directions. And so we're missing what he's actually trying to do within us, which create a family that's one in spirit, mind, purpose, and love with the Father, Son, Spirit, one another. And Peter had enough because he heard a word he received it from the Father. You're the Messiah. That's enough to hold me. The Bible says just a mustard seed of revelation, of faith, of who he is, can move a mountain. A mustard seed is the tiniest of seeds. So he says this to you and I today. I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never hunger. And if you believe in me, you will never thirst. Do you believe? That's the question I want to leave you with today. Do you believe in what he says? And what are you going to do about that? There's your homework. <laughs> do it together. Don't do it on your own. Do it with the person beside you, behind you, in front of you, even if you don't know them. Let's start this. Tap, tap. I don't know who you are. 
but you're sitting in front of me. How about we get to know him and one another together and do this authentic thing called discipleship? And let's just see what the Spirit's going to do in both of us. Father, I thank you that you are a living God. I thank you for your word that builds a powerful people. I thank you that it is living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and it pierces and judges the thoughts and the attitudes of man for the purpose of building man, for the purpose of blessing man and bringing man into this eternal life that you call us to be in and to live from. I thank you that Jesus Christ is eternal life. I thank you that John said that they had seen the word of life, the eternal life, and that this eternal life manifested itself to him and to those people he was with. And then he invites other people to have fellowship with this eternal life, the substance of Christ in us. God, I thank you that we're not one by knowing one another, but we are one by knowing you. I thank you that our oneness is based on our, all, all our knowledge of you, God, and not how well I might know Danielle or not. So God, release us from this very humanistic, earthly mindset of companionship and physical relationships to anchor us into the spiritual relationship with you, your Son, and your Spirit, then one another. For if I am not one with you, I cannot be one with my brothers and sisters because you are the substance of oneness. And so God, today, continue to work your word within us. Continue to do this eternal work of the Spirit that only you can do, that we surrender and submit our lives to. And I pray we would be hungry and thirsty for what we have no idea about. And if we don't have it, God, I ask you, we would ask for it, for a thirst that never leaves and an appetite that will never be quenched in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.